Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Uh, While you do that, I want to thank you for inviting us back. Carmen and I are uh, happy to be again with you. I was thinking about the first time we came. Can you believe it was 15 years ago? Yeah. Uh, Our kids were little. Now they are little no more. Tim just graduated from Grace College, and in January he's getting married. Yeah. I said it's an answer to prayer, and people laughed. I didn't get that, but the truth is that uh, we did pray for our kids since they were little. When they were little, we would teach them to kneel by, uh, to kneel by the bed and to pray. And uh, after that, we would close the door and I would pray for them again. And I would pray that God will give them godly wives. That together they can love him and serve him. And that's why I said it's an answer to prayer because... God gave Tim uh, a godly uh, woman. So we're very happy about that. And Nick uh, is a freshman at Grace College. So uh, time does fly, doesn't it? And, uh, but it's good to be uh, back with you. And I, I, I remember it, was, it all started out with an email from Dan Bowman. Who would have thought that God can use an Ohio State fan? Hmm? <laughs> yeah. Uh, God works in miraculous ways. And... Uh, More about Ohio State later. Uh, But this morning I want us to talk about Psalm 119. Uh, The psalmist loves the Word of God so much that at one point he stops and exclaims, Oh, how I love your law. So uh, obviously we can't go through the entire psalm, but if you look in your Bibles, at least in my Bible, it starts with the word Aleph. And then if you go after the first eight verses, there's another word, Beit. And then Gimel, Dalet, Hey, those are the consonants of the Hebrew alphabet. This is what we call an acrostic. It would be basically like A, B, C, D, E, like the alphabet, basically. But see, in a, in a time and place where not everybody could read and write, this made it easier to memorize scripture. If you knew that the first eight verses start with the same letter, let's say with A, you would remember that, right? And then when you'd memorize, that would be easier. The next eight verses start with B. The next eight verses start with C, so forth and so on. And that's what Psalm 119 is. So there are 22 consonants in the Hebrew alphabet. So 22 times 8, 176 verses. And that's why we have 176 verses in Psalm uh, 119. But I'm only going to read the first uh, two for this morning. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways, who have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. O that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. See, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to argue this morning that it is not enough for us to say, oh, how I love your word. But it is very important that we teach it to our children and grandchildren. Psalm 78.4 talks about the works of God, and the psalmist says, we will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The truth, the reason that's important is because it has not always been the case. If we look back in history, right after the uh, death of Joshua, there is this tragic verse at the beginning of Judges 2. So Judges 2 verses 8 and 9 describe the death of Joshua. And then verse 10 has this tragedy. And all that generation, this is Joshua's generation, also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he has done for Israel. How tragic that after one generation, there is a generation that they do not know the Lord or the work he has done for Israel. I came in the United States in 1986 when this thing was big. You guys remember this? The boombox. Remember the boombox? Some of you look, look lost. Uh, ask your grandparents. The boombox was uh, invented in, in the 1960s, but perfected in the 1980s when they came up with a double-decker. Remember double-decker? You had one tape. Let's say whatever you're listening to, Elvis, Bill Gaither. or some of you more spiritual ones, classical music or hymns. But you put it in one place, and then you put a blank tape in the other, and then you just push a button, and what would happen? It would copy what you had here on here. See, what this previous verse that we just read tells us is, is that Joshua's generation did not teach the next generation about God and, their, and his word. Will that be said about our generation? That's the question we were going to have to answer this morning. I hope that of our generation that comes after us, it will not be said that it is a generation that do not know the Lord or the work he had done for the children of Israel. Why can we say, why can we say, oh, how I love your word? The reason we can say that is because the word of God comes from the living God. So it is not that just we read some words. These words come from somewhere. The author of this Bible is a living God. We don't read the Bible like we read the newspaper, hopefully. You take the newspaper, you read it like whatever, and then you set it down and you never care about what, what you just read, probably. You, you do that because the, the paper is a dead document. But the Bible is a living document. And it is a living document because it's spoken by a living God. And that's why it's very, very important. The word of God comes from the living God. 
Jeremiah 10.10, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God. But he's not the only one. Jeremiah is not the only one who refers to God as the living God. Moses in Deuteronomy 5 refers to God as the living God. Joshua in Joshua 3 refers to God as the living God. Right before David defeats Goliath, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? In his confession, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The reason, my dear brothers and sisters, this is a living document is because it comes from the living God. Like our generation, future generations, need to trust the word of God because, uh, the word, because it comes from the living God. Not only that, the word of God teaches us to live in purity. Verse 9 how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. A lot of people don't read the law, the first five books of Moses, because they say, well, that's Old Testament. You know, I'm a New Testament believer. Well, listen, the law of God is both revelatory and regulatory. So even if you don't read it for the regulatory part, you need to read it for the revelatory part because it teaches us who God is. And if you don't read the first five books of Moses, you're missing out of a good chunk of scripture that describes who God is. And God is holy, righteous, and just. And he wants us to live in purity. And that's why the Bible says it's important to read the Bible to meditate on it, to memorize it, and to live it. Because it keeps us from the dangers of going into a, word of, into a world of unholiness and unrighteousness. A couple of weeks ago, a pastor friend of mine who teaches for us uh, adjunctively at Grace uh, called me and said, I, I can't, you won't believe what just happened to me. He said, uh, a pre the president of a seminary from Indianapolis called me and, and asked me to come teach for them. And uh, I, I told him, look, I can't come because our doctrine and our theology don't, kinda don't fit together. And the president of the seminary asked my friend, uh, why, is it our stance on homosexuality? And my friend answered, well, that's one of them, but there's more than just that, there's other things. And the president of the seminary, who is a man, told my friend, well, my husband and I won't like that. See, how is that possible? How is that possible? I can tell you how that's possible. By setting aside the law of God. That's how it's possible. And we go with the definitions of the world. And we go with the laws of the land rather than with the word of God. But it is only the law of God, the word of God that teaches us how to live in purity. Not just today, but tomorrow. And the next generation and the next generation. The word of God teaches us to live in purity. It is the word of God who gives us strength. The Calvary Church family had a... Funeral service yesterday, right? A memorial service. So sometimes you feel like that, don't you? Sometimes you go to God in prayer and you don't know what to say. And all you have is tears. The Bible says when you feel like that, 
you go to the Word of God. Verse 28, my soul melts away with, for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. See, if you read Psalm 119, there's no doubt that this psalmist who is writing is being persecuted by his peers and he's being persecuted by his superiors. In verse 61, he laments, though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. He, he's not just oppressed by his peers, he's oppressed by his superiors. Verse 23 says, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. See, no matter how hard the hardship, the psalmist turns to the word of God, even when we don't have the right words to say, we have to turn to the word of God. It is there where we come, where we find strength when there are no words to say, and all we have is, is tears. And we can trust the Word of God, and we can teach our children and grandchildren to trust the Word of God because not only gives us strength, but it is unchanging truth. The sum of your words is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I love the Word of God because it doesn't change. Verse 43, take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. You see, the opposite of truth is a lie. Verse 69 says, and verse 69 reminds us that when we reject the truth, we have to replace it with some, something else, which is a lie. Verse 69, Psalmist writes, the insolent smears me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. You see, Satan's modus operandi is to lie to us. He lied to Eve and he keeps lying to us. He lied to Eve and said what? Hey, Eve, God is the great party pooper who stands between you and something better. And Satan still does that today. And people still believe his lies rather than his truth. The truth of the word is clear. We are created in the image of God. Male and female, he created us. And the lies of Satan come and says, no, there are 59 genders that you can pick from. The lie today is that you can choose your gender. And now, hey, you don't like your name? Change it. Hey, you don't like your name? How about a number? You see, I love the Word of God because it doesn't change. Think about what happened in our country for the past few years. Have you, have you not heard that truth has changed, even in science? Like from, hey, one month is this, the next month is this, the next month is this. I'm here to tell you that truth that changes every month or every year or every hundred years, it's not truth at all. I, I don't make up the rules. Truth that changes is not truth. That's why the Word of God is unchanging truth. And that needs to be the foundation on which we build our lives. And that needs to be the foundation on which we need to teach our children and grandchildren to live their lives. Now be honest, since we're talking about truth. How many of you recognize this building? Come on, where are my Ohio State fans? Thank you. Thank you. This is the... Center for Performing Arts at The Ohio State University. And I realize I'm preaching in Michigan, I know, but Ohio State lost, so it's okay. 
So a pastor was visiting Ohio State, and uh, the, the tour guide was very proud about this building and said, this is the first postmodern building. And the pastor was a little confused. said, what is a postmodern building? Well, it's a postmodern building that like, has no purpose, no meaning. Uh, and let me quote. He said, the architect said he designed this building with no design in mind. When the architect asked, was asked why, he said, if life itself is capricious, why should our buildings have any design or any meaning? So he has pillars that have no purpose. He has stairways that go nowhere. He has a senseless building built and somebody had to pay for it. Then the pastor asked him, did he do the same with the foundation? <laughs> and what was the answer? Silence. Because, see, you can mess with the building all you want, but you cannot mess with the foundation. That's why I'm here to tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, we need to establish in our children and grandchildren a strong foundation that this is the word of God without error, and it's the only unchanging truth that will last forever. Laws in this country will change. Opinions will change. Governments will change. But one thing that will never change is the word of God. So we need to put our foundation in this word of God. Because it is only the word of God that's unchanging. It is this word of God that gives us wisdom. Psalm 119, verse 98, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. One commentator writes, The psalmist exclaims how he, how love, how he loves divine instruction, a love that speaks of devotion and commitment. The love of God's law prompts him to meditate in it all day long, meaning that he reads it, interprets it, and prayerfully applies it to his life. The primary benefit of such deep study in God's word is that it brings him wisdom that is superior to any earthly knowledge. The wisdom is from above. It opens up a way of living skillfully in a fallen world, helping people to avoid the dangers and pitfalls of life. Living by God's command has made the psalmist wiser than his enemies. Why? For by rejecting the law of God, they have proven to be fools. See, I grew up in uh, the communist country of Romania, and these were the fools that were on the wall in Romania growing up. If you learned any, any history at all, you know that from uh, right to left, Karl Marx, Friedrich Engels, and Lenin. So Marx and Engels were the authors of the Communist Manifesto. Lenin took his teachings and uh, you, you know what happened in the former Soviet Union with the uh, communist revolution. What you don't learn in some history books is that if you rejected this, you ended up dead. Tens of thousands who opposed Lenin and his revolution were killed if they disagreed. And I grew up in that environment. Again, in, our, in some of our classrooms, we had these portraits of these people on the wall, along with our dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu, the president of the, of the country. So I went to school, and one of the first things they taught us in school, there is no God. 
But I knew better. Why? I knew better. Because by first grade, when I got to school, my parents and my grandparents taught me that there is a God, that he sent his son Jesus Christ in the world to die for my sins, and there's a heaven that he prepared for us. I knew. So I didn't believe anything that the communists taught me. In the house we lived in, it was, uh, we had uh, four bedrooms. It was my parents, it was me and my two older brothers, it was my grandma, and an uncle. We had an uncle that could, uh, had a disability, he could not walk. So it was the job of us kids, uh, when my parents were at work, to take food to him for lunch and whatever he needed, we were taking care of him. And in exchange, he taught us how to read and write. So by the time I got to school in, sixth, uh, in uh, first grade, I already knew how to read and write. And not only that, I knew he, he made us memorize the Word of God, and he taught us how to sing hymns. So by the time I got to, to first grade, and I'm being told by these people, there is no God, I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't say it like that. You know, and because I was a repenter, because I was an evangelical Christian, you know, I couldn't be part of the communist youth movement. That's okay. I was part of a better movement. I would go to church every time the doors would be open, and I sang in the kids' choir, and later I sang in the youth choir, and I sang the praises of God. Why? Because I was taught from childhood. In the summers, we would be sent to my grandparents' house in a village in uh, the southern part of Romania. And again, there was no, no TV. We, there was no TV there. Uh, even if we had TV, the, serv- the, the, the TV program was from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. It started with communist propaganda. It ended with communist propaganda. So even if we had TV, there was nothing to watch. So all day long, we would be on the fi- in the field playing soccer. And in the evening, my job was to take the cow to the pasture. So I had a great, great education. But I remember Saturday evenings, my grandfather would take us, and after we would eat dinner, we would sit around the radio and listen to the AM station, Radio Free Europe, and the West would send via shortwave radio a sermon in Romanian. So we would listen to the sermon, and then... After that, my grandpa would, uh, again, line us up uh, on the side of the bed, and we would pray. He taught us how to pray. And then on Sunday morning, we would go to church, and uh, I remember he, he was teaching Sunday school, and sometimes he was preaching, and I remember people would listen to him like, man, what kind of seminary PhD education did this guy have? He had a fourth grade education. He was a coal miner. But you know what? When he spoke, people listened. Because his foundation was right here on the word of God. And my grandpa knew more, about, uh, more than about PhDs. Look, I know PhDs in New Testament, they don't believe the Bible they are teaching. That's why the psalmist can say, I am smarter even than my teachers. Why? Because I keep your law. Because I know your 
Psalm 90, uh, 119, verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. See, the Word of God is not just unchanging truth, but it is the Word of God that comforts us. Look, I know life is hard. And maybe one of the best things we can teach our children early on is that life is hard. Maybe we should stop teaching our children that life is a fairy tale. Maybe we should teach them from infancy, from when they're small, when they can read and write, that life is hard. And they will encounter troubles in this world. The psalmist says, this is my comfort in my affliction that you promise gives me life. Verse 52, when I think of your rules from old, I take comfort, O Lord. Verse 76, let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. One scholar writes, and I quote, in the midst of his affliction, the psalmist's comfort comes from the promises that God renews life. This does not simply mean preserving his life. The promises revive his spirit with fresh courage to remain faithful. The point is that the promises God made to his people in his word bring comfort and courage. It is the nature of the word to revive the spiritual life. So the question is for us, when we feel that our life is stagnant, could it be that it is stagnant because we don't go to the word? It is the word of God that comforts us. It is the word of God that guides us. I know you know this verse from when you were a child, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. There's the, again, the imagery is simple. Life is a path. It, there's darkness all around us, but the word of God lights our way and guides us. So it's, but it, see, it's not enough for us to see the way. We need to go on that way, right? Someone wise once said that it is easier to light a candle than to curse the darkness. See, what, what we do most of the time, we just curse the darkness. But what we need to do is open the word and light the way. And the word of God will teach us which way to go. See, it is not enough to know the word. We need to follow it and obey it and do what it says. Like Jesus says in Matthew 5, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because he had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And I know that this is not our motivation, but my dear brothers and sisters, the Bible says that there are blessings that come when we obey the word of God. Look at the parallels between Psalm 1 and Psalm 119. And look at the, the words and the concepts that appear uh, in both. Blessed is the man, that's how uh, Psalm 1 starts. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now look at Psalm 119, how it starts. Blessed are those whose ways blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. See, there are many blessings that come when we 
know the word of God and when we obey the word of God. Again, that should not be our motivation, but the truth is that obedience leads to blessings. I'm not saying obedience leads only to blessings because the Bible tells us that if you obey, you'll be persecuted. So please understand me. I'm not saying uh, this is not a prosperity gospel, but it is true that blessedness starts with holiness. And the psalmist knows this. There are blessings associated with just reading the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, doing the Word of God. Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, 3, this, Already you are clean because of the Word that I have spoken to you. In other words, when you read the Bible, there's a cleansing that happens automatically. Sometimes you might think, Maybe you're preparing a lesson or you're trying to do something and you say, well, I'm not inspired. Hey, I got good news for you. The Bible is inspired. And as long as you're teaching and preaching that, you'll be fine. Just stick to what the Bible says. And that will lead to blessings, not just for us, but for those around us. I love the Word of God because it leads us to Jesus. When John introduces Jesus, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See, you got to read the Old Testament. you got to read the first five books of Moses because they point to Christ. The whole Old Testament points to Christ. Remember, after Jesus rose from the dead on the road to Emmaus, he rebukes the disciples who did not understand that the Old Testament spoke about him. Jesus says, the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets speak about me. So then how come we, we, we don't read the Old Testament? And how come then we, we expect to know fully who God is and who Jesus is if we don't do that? Jesus said this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, they bear witness about me. And when Jesus is speaking those words, the only scripture that's around is the Old Testament. So we have to read the Old Testament from a Christological perspective, understanding that it points towards Christ. We cannot abuse it and find Jesus under every rock, every little verse, because it's not there. But as a concept, it is there. As the German reformer Martin Luther said, the Bible is the cradle where Christ is laid. The Word of God, we have to love it because He leads us to Jesus. So going back, my dear brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you, first of all, what's on your tape and what are you passing on to the next generation? Because what we need to do is not only to know the Word of God, but we need to live it out and we need to pass it on to our children and grandchildren. Let it not be said about the next generation, what was said about the generation after Joshua, that they did not know the Lord and they did not know the works he has done for Israel. May it be said about the generation that comes after us, what was said about the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12.32. It says this, These were men of understanding, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. May that be said about the next generation. Two points of application. 
First of all, trust God. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is what? Living. This is a living document spoken by a living God that's beneficial for us living people. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of the soul and spirit, of joint of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I had people come to me after the second service and said, I cried during your service because the word pierced my heart. I had a lady who came and said, I felt defeated all this week, but I learned from your sermon that the word revives me and I feel revived. It is the word that does that. It was not my words, it's his word. And we are missing out. So I'm here to trust the Trust the author of the word, who, by the way, is also the surgeon who cuts deep sometimes. Aren't you grateful for a surgeon that cuts out the cancer? You got to be. I like the message translation. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel. Wow. Cutting through everything whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. So trust the author because he's also the surgeon who works at transforming us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Trust him and then praise him. Many times in Psalm 119, the psalmist stops and says, I will praise you with an upright height. At midnight, I rise to praise you. Verse 7 62, 108, 164, 171, 175. Uh, the psalmist always says, all these things lead me to praise God. At midnight, I rise to praise you. Some of you wake up like around 4 or 5, right? You can't sleep anymore, right? Amen? Don't raise your hands. If you're like me, sometimes you go on that mode of, oh, God, I'm now awake. I'm going to pray to you. Please give me this, 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 and this. But what if we wake up and can't sleep anymore and our first words are, Lord, I praise you. For, and then fill in the blank. You know what you need to praise him for. Knowing the word and knowing the God of the word should always lead to praise. And praise him because he is in the business of changed lives. This word of God is the one that changed my life. It changed your life. You know that, right? So praise him. Because he leads to changed lives. Allow me to close with this illustration. In his book, Tortured for Christ, Richard Wurbrand tells of his conversion of how a German carpenter gave Richard a Bible. You see, Richard was uh, an atheist. He was, a, he was Jewish, but he grew up as an atheist. And uh, he almost died, so they sent him to a sanatorium in the mountains of Romania. And there in a village, there was a German carpenter. And this German carpenter uh, read the Bible. He knew the Bible. He was a believer and uh, saw that Jesus was Jewish. So then this German carpenter started praying and said, Lord, uh, give me the opportunity to share the gospel with a Jewish man. (laughs) What Jewish man in the middle of mountains in Romania? There's no such thing. Well, God sent Richard to that village. 
And this German carpenter gave Richard a Bible. And then Richard Wurbrand writes, he saw in me the answer to his prayer and gave me a Bible to read. I read the Bible out of cultural interest many times before, but the Bible he gave me was another kind of Bible. As he told me sometime later, he and his wife prayed together for hours for my conversion and that of my wife. The Bible he gave me was written not so much in words, but in flames of love fired by his prayers. I could barely read it. I could only weep over it. Comparing my bad life with the life of Jesus, my impurity with his righteousness, my hatred with his love, and he accepted me as one of his own. Soon thereafter, my wife was converted. She brought other souls to Christ. Those other souls brought still more souls to Christ because there was someone who wanted to pass on to someone else what God did and what God can still do. Isn't that good news? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, Tiberius, I actually, your sermon kind of made me feel bad. My kids are not walking with the Lord. You know, I failed to be a good parent or a grandparent. I'm here to tell you that this is a day to start over. Maybe, maybe it is the time where you're going to go back to your children and say, children, we're sorry. We failed you. We did not pray with you when we had to pray with you. We didn't read the Bible when we needed to pray with you. Forgive us. But start new. Maybe you now have grandchildren. You can start with the grandchildren and pass on to them the faith that you have. The purpose of any sermon is not to make you feel bad. It's to make you turn to Christ and to God. And God always allows second chances. Amen? And if you're in my case, n number of chances. But again, I hope that all of us can exclaim, Oh, how I love your word. And I'm here to tell you that you can stand on those promises. I had a friend who would say, let's not just sit on the premises. Let's stand on the promises. So let's stand together and sing this wonderful old hymn about standing on the promises. And maybe, maybe, uh, 